Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star Sports Podcast. It's Tuesday, August 9th. I'm Blair Kirkhoff. We're talking Royals today, and it's a different club than when we spoke last week. No Whit Merrifield or Cam Gallagher, and now plenty of rookies in the lineup. The youngsters helped the Royals take three out of four from the Red Sox this past weekend, so great start. On today's show, which started as a Sports Beat Live, beat writer Lynn Worthy and columnist Vahir Gorian discuss the new energy and the new objectives for this team. Okay, let's get started. Hey, good morning from Kansas City. Well, actually, St. Joe uh, is where I am, and that's where Vahe Gregorian is because I can I recognize the background. <laughs> Welcome to Sports Beat Live, um, presented by University of Kansas Health System. This is the weekly show where we talk about the Kansas City Royals with folks in the media who know them best. And today, that is Vahe and Lynn Worthy. And we want to share the conversation with you. So please send us questions and comments, and we'll talk Royals baseball with you. So, all right. So the Royals, uh, after taking three out of four from the Red Sox this weekend, uh, improved to 44 and 65, which puts them on a uh, pace to finish 65 and 97. But uh, as this season continues in the final two months, it seems to be less about the record and more about who is playing for the Royals and how this uh, how this lineup might look for 2023. Lynn, a lot has happened since the last time we talked with the Royals lineup. Um, call it a youth movement. Call it the future is now. But uh, at least for the Royals and, and maybe every team that's – 20 under 500 or so and out of the playoff picture like the Royals is saying this, but it's, it's especially true with the Royals. They are absolutely getting a glimpse of what their future lineup might be. And at least, at least it makes the Royals interesting. And um, we're all kind of curious to see what, you know, what these young players are going to do and what they're going to be. Do you agree that it's become a little bit more of an interesting season than maybe uh, a month or so ago? Uh, I, I think it's been a an interesting last week. Um, thinking, I was just thinking as we were getting ready to start here today about uh, last week when we did this show. Tra- it was the morning of the trade deadline, so you know none of those trade. The, well, the Benintendi trade had happened, but the um, you know Merrifield and Gallagher trades happened later that day. Um, so a lot has happened in the week. Um, just thinking of you know that day. I mean. Um, and obviously, you know, the trade details and everything have been covered, but it was just uh, sort of a, one of those, I guess, behind the curtain moments was when that trade took place. So they're in Chicago um, getting ready to start that, um, I guess it was the second game of the series in Chicago. And trade deadline is at 5 p.m. Central Time. But, um, you know, deals can get done up until 5 p.m. And then, the de- you know, guys get informed and actually things go through after that. It just has to be paperwork done by that time. Um, and the clubhouse closed, I think it was 5.05 or 5 o'clock. And, you know, people who aren't familiar, the clubhouse closed at a certain time. It's not like we can go in and out whenever we want. Clubhouse closed at a certain time, you're out. So we're going out to the field to watch batting practice. 
And um, as we're told clubhouse is closed and we're heading out to the field, you know, you, you happen to look around and you happen to see the clubhouse manager take Whit Merrifield into the manager's office and you say, uh-oh. <laughs> and then you go outside and you start to see, you know, things hit on Twitter. And literally the players are in front of us doing their stretching lines and they're looking at all of us going, what happened? Like that's that, that's how the thing played out. There's, there's play, you know teammates of theirs going through stretching lines, looking at us, going, "What happened?" Uh, the reporters who were on the road, and we literally told them that it was wit, and they were all like, "Are you serious?" <laughs> like they, they like that's that's how the things unfolded. And then you started to see through batting practice, guys would come back into the clubhouse because wit never came out of the clubhouse. Guys came went in to say goodbye to him, and then they came back out to the field for batting practice and. Cam Gallagher told us later that um, he actually went in to say goodbye to Wit, and that's when he was informed that he'd been traded. He got pulled aside as he was going in to say goodbye to Wit. So it was just um, just a little bit of a, you know, taking people behind the scenes and how that thing unfolded last week because it's just crazy to think that a lot has happened in a week. And then obviously they played that night, and um, guys won't, I don't think, ever, you know, make that excuse. But it makes me wonder about a guy like, um, you know, Brad Keller pitched that night. I know Witt's one of his closest friends. He didn't look the same on the mound that night, and he wouldn't make that excuse. But, I mean, a couple hours before game time, one of his closest guys got shipped out, and I think that maybe took a, a little bit of steam out of him. But um, to, That was to the 9-2 to loss, I think, too. Yeah, yeah. And he and it was one of those weird outings. The thing that I remember is he didn't get, I think, any swing and miss on his fastball, which is not – common at all for Brad Keller. Um, and again, afterwards, he wasn't making any excuses. But at the same time, you talk to guys in that clubhouse after the game, and they talked about how emotional it was to see those guys go, because those are two guys that had been around for a long time. I think they both debuted in like 16, 17. You know, they'd gone back down, but come back up, um, been in the system their entire careers, had played with these guys since they'd all been in the majors. Um, guys that they've been close with in the off season. I think Cam lives or at least spends off season near like Dozier and, and O'Hearn and a couple of guys down in Texas. So, I mean, these are guys that they're really close with. Um, so yeah, that, uh, that, that was a, a bit of a hit, but then on the heels of that, you get even more young guys come in and it's like this whole burst of energy with Michael Massey and Nate Eaton on top of, you know, Nick Prado from a couple of weeks ago and, um, the guys who've already been here with MJ and, and Bobby and Vinny. And so it's uh, it's quite a change just in a, in a week's time of just the dynamics and just the, the, the vibe, I think, that you've seen in that clubhouse. I want, Vahe, I want you to pick up on that because I know you wrote about it on uh, over the weekend. But first, I, I, I love the insight and the behind the scenes of, of a trade and how the word gets out on that. And it kind of goes to show, doesn't it, Lynn, that um, players aren't, following the team through the media. I mean, they, they, anybody who has been paying attention to your reporting and, and Sam and Vahe's columns and any other form of media knows that Witt was on the block. I mean, he was, uh, it, it seemed like he was an obvious trade. Uh, the, the speculation was for him to, to have been traded. And I guess, you know, maybe they did know and then it happens and you're, you know, you're just, you react, you're going to lose a teammate that you've had. Uh, for for several years, but um, I just maybe people will find it interesting that that players were looking to the media and to, to you and other reporters to find out what was going on in the you know in the trade world. Well, it was um, 
talking to, to Dozier after the game is interesting because, you know, he's another guy who's been around for a while. Um, and him and Witt are, you know, two of the closer guys. I mean, they had Walker next to each other. Like, I can't remember a day probably this season, maybe going back a ways where you haven't seen the two of them in some conversation at some point when you walk into a clubhouse because they're just always right next to each other. Um, and Dozier said afterwards, he said, yeah, you know, every year it was rumors about Witt getting traded, but it never happened. And so, and he said he really didn't think it was going to happen this year. Like, he, I mean, obviously he'd heard the rumors and everything, but he didn't think it was going to happen this year, especially once he got to that point. Um, so he was surprised. Excuse me. He was one of the ones who he said, you know, he was fighting back tears when he was saying goodbyes. And But, yeah, he said he was caught off guard. Like he, uh, he had heard all the rumors, but he just didn't think it was happening this year. Okay, so, Bahe, they, they got a four-game set with the Red Sox this weekend, and it's, it's not the same Red Sox team, probably not a, um, headed toward the playoffs, but uh, it's still the Red Sox, right? And look at what happens this weekend with a, with a, with a lineup of, of – rookies and, you know, some who have been with it, like, uh, uh, like Bobby Witt, been with the team all year, but many of them joining the team just in the last few weeks and they take three out of four. And um, the, the game that they lost was notable for having all nine position players and the starting pitcher uh, come, uh, you know, be drafted by the Royals, developed by the Royals. And it was only the third time in history they put out a lineup, including the starting pitcher, uh, with all the players uh, coming from the Royals organization. I guess I, you know, when I saw that note, I kind of said, is it, has it been that infrequent? But, um, but yes, it has. And of course they lost that game, but other games, the Nick Prado walk-off home run game and the, and the 12 RBI game on Sunday by the rookies. I think that was the one that you attended that's um, a nice, nice weekend for the new look Royals. Nice weekend. And uh, first sound check. Can you hear me? Okay. You sound good. Okay. So I wanted to make sure that was uh, going right before I said, I've got chills. <laughs> They're multiplying. Uh, Aww. Aww. Nice uh, tribute. Yeah. Uh, to our, our dear Olivia Newton, John, but, and that's probably overstating it a little bit about the Royals that last weekend, but um, I, I, there was something in it and Lynn can speak, I think to the, you know, the, the broader spectrum of this whole feeling all season. But um, I tell you what, when the Prado thing, I I just seen the replays, I wasn't there that night, but that was, you know, like out of the little league world series, right? Like as Nick kind of uh, (laughs) reflected on as one of his last walk-offs, it was so childlike and, um, energizing for a team that's 43 and 65 at that point, right? When they win that game and you just saw a little something different there. And, and by the way, these are all things you could just call quirks, right? Okay. The, the, the lineup from Friday. Okay. Maybe it's a little quirky part of that Zach Granke um, coming back. But, and the thing from, from that, that game was the book ended home runs by rookies. Only the third time in major league baseball history that's happened, right? MJ Melendez opens the game with the home run. Nick Prado walks it off 12 RBIs the next day. It's, it's all of that, but also I think the dynamics that you see, there seems like a weight lifted and we'll see soon how much of that is the chicken and egg of it's easier to have fun when you're winning versus it's easier to win when you're having fun. I mean, these things kind of are, are sometimes shapeless and hard to, hard to really put your fingers on. But I can say this from the times I've been in the clubhouse this year, 
just a totally different feeling in there um, in a room that suddenly feels like the youth is influencing the rest of the room more than than sort of the status quo, the, the heavy feeling of yet another bad start, just sort of seeming to dull everything. Not Nothing, nothing just seemed to be um, kind of crackling the way you want it to feel. And just the scene the other day, I don't want to make too much of a, a, you know, a post-game scene a couple of days in a row, and they'll be tested this week in a, in a big way. But, but there was something there that told you they're, they're, to use the term from the Hosmer call-up, flipping the switch and all in on what this group is going to be. And I think we see five, six, seven parts that are likely to be the core of the future here um that uh, you know everyday core of the future and i i just think it's it's really invigorating right now and and to your point blair at the very start it makes it interesting right we know the record stinks we know that what comes the next couple months doesn't offset the rest of the season but we also know it's about right here right now and what the future is and engaging that future yeah look i I think the the biggest uh, problem a team can have is uh, one of the biggest problems a team can have that that uh, that's trying to sell tickets is uh, being uh, you know not being interesting and you know, just fans not caring about a team and at least with with the with the moves that have been made in the, in the last few weeks uh, the, the royals have changed that they've flipped the narrative uh, they they are now somebody you pay attention to and you're and we're watching michael massey and nick prado and nate eaton take not their first at bats but some of their first at bats they're all in their first month as major leaguers and we want to see them we want to see if they're if their upside is what you know what they've shown in, in the minor leagues and to me, anyway, that's that's why I'm turning on the Royals every night and, and, and interested in, in not so much in outcomes, but just individual performances and see if it can work together and um, uh, see if they're better than the the pieces that they're replacing. And uh, I'll tell you what, let's let's do this. Let's go to a break, and when we come back after hearing from the University of Kansas Health System, I want to ask Lynn about how they're going to fit all these guys into the lineup and, and what their versatility, uh, how, how that's going to help. Mike Matheny makes some decisions when it comes to positions and lineups and such. So let's hear this first from KU Med. March 4th, 2015, I got out of the shower and felt a lump in my left breast. We were able to quickly uncover that she had two subtypes of breast cancer, each of them requiring separate and unique treatment plans. This is why you come to the University of Kansas Cancer Center. It is critical to be treated by a team of experts in that specific cancer type. If you don't start with us, I think you'll have more questions than answers. Why would you go anywhere else? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
Hey, this is Blair. There are several ways to access the Star Sports section. Let me tell you about a couple of them. There is Sports Pass. For $12.99 a month, you get unlimited digital access to all of the Star Sports content, including beat writing, columns, features, pretty much everything we write. The deal renews monthly until you tell us to cancel. For $159.99 a year, you get everything the Star has to offer digitally, including sports and the E-Edition. Go to KansasCity.com and drop down to the bottom of the page where it says Start a Subscription for more information. Your support has never been more important. As always, thanks for reading and listening. Back on Sportsbeat Live, talking Royals with Linworthy and Vahe Gregorian. And by the way, those 12 RBIs by the rookies in Sunday's 13-5 victory over the uh, over the Red Sox, most RBIs by uh, rookies in a Royals lineup since 1995. Um, Vahe had his tribute to Olivia Newton-John. That's my tribute to David McCullough, the historian who passed away on the same day. So, uh, okay, Lynn. Uh, Mike Matheny, he's got to be a little energized by all this, I suspect. And uh, what did he, he? What was he gushing about the other day? That was it a triple? Um, uh, who, who was it? I, I can't remember who hit the triple, but it was a real hustle play, Eaton, a hustle yeah. triple. Was it Eaton? Okay. Um, so maybe maybe his energy levels up a little bit. But how is he going to manage this? What's what's the idea now going forward? What what do you do with all these rookies and? Uh, who play multiple? Who's who are versatile? Play multiple positions, and is he trying to find positions for everybody? Settling in a batting order. What's how does he play the final couple months? Oh, the the lineup's going to be day to day. I mean, there's no there's no doubt about it. I remember, uh, I think it was a couple of days ago, somebody had emailed me about um, not having a set lineup, and I don't I don't know. I can't remember actually if I got back to him, but if not, let me just tell them right now. That ain't happening. You just, just settle in. Just get used to the changing lineup because um, you've got so many moving parts and so many guys that they want to play. And, and even in games, I mean, I, I suspect that you'll see during games a lot of late inning moves to get guys into the game, you know, whether it's playing matchups or whether it's for defense. or um, So I think that's that's going to be um, the way things play out for the rest of the season. Um, just thinking about guys like, you know, um, Nick Prado and Vinny Pasquantino. So Prado – it's probably one of the better defenders you're going to see at first base. Um, but Vinny doesn't really have another position besides first base and DH. So to get him in the lineup, he's probably going to play first base sometimes. And that means Prado might be in the outfield. Um, now, problem with that is in the outfield, you're also going to have, you know, the one sort of static person is Michael A. Taylor, you know, best defensive center fielder in baseball right now. And he'll be in center most of the times. Um, but you still in the outfield spots, you got MJ Melendez is going to be out there because you got a guy named Salvador Perez behind the plate. So when Salvi's not behind the plate, MJ will get some time there. But otherwise, he's going to probably be in the outfield or at DH. Uh, again, we already mentioned DH is going to have some some uh, time for Vinny Pasquantino. Um, in the outfield, you also have Kyle Isbell. You're also going to see probably uh, Nate Eaton, who just came up. Um, Hunter Dozier could get some time in the outfield, depending on if he's playing some third base. Third base is another spot where you'll see Nicky Lopez. Nicky Lopez plays some second base, but then you also have Michael Massey, who you just brought up, who's going to play some second base. Um, if Nicky's not playing third base, then you could have Bobby Witt playing some third base, which we're starting to see a little bit more of. But, of course, Bobby plays some shortstop. If he's not playing shortstop, Nicky could play some shortstop. So, yeah, we can just keep going all day with this. Can you start over with who's on first? <laughs> 
No, I mean, that's exactly right. There are all kinds of options available. But so so bottom line, it though, what um, the objective is to is it to see who can play where best, uh, uh, how, what, what a lineup, what, what the most effective lineup could be. And and, you know, we're talking about a team that, uh, you know, I know we're getting a, a sneak peek at 2023 with this team, but it's certainly not all the pieces. Um you know, there's still Alberto Mondesi. Uh, what, what his future of the, of the club would be? There's there's Drew Waters, the you know, the outfield prospect now in the minor leagues that the Royals got from the, from the Braves. Um, is this a? Uh, to, I guess to what extent can we look at the the final two months of the season and and and, and put some put some hope on the Royals? And and, and and at least envision what these this team might be like for next year. I think what the final couple of months of this season are going to be is um, one, getting guys some experience and some some time in the major leagues, and two, evaluating where they might have some openings or some holes they need to address, or where they might have some strengths that they can deal from. So, I mean, the final two months, and this is at the major leagues and the minor leagues in some cases. Like you mentioned, Drew Waters, he's gotten off to a really good start in his short time with the Royals. What he does in these last couple of months maybe decide, makes them decide how they approach this offseason. Um, is he somebody that you consider for the big league club out of camp next season? Is he somebody that you say, okay, we'll start. He's still going to be need some time in the Myers to, hurt, to work with their hitting development people. Um, these last two months might um, sway how they approach that. Uh, and then the guys that they have in the major leagues, you know, taking a look at them. And, and having an idea of like, okay, are they going to be ready to play every day next season? Or is there going to be, you know, are they going to have a need to go and fill those spots with some, some, you know, acquisitions? Or are they going to have guys that they feel like they, they're loaded that one spot and they can deal from that? I think that's what you're going to look at in the last couple of months of this season. I don't think it's just going to be, okay, how are we going to play this group going into next season? I think it's going to be a whole lot of evaluation and also just getting guys development time. And the other thing is, is you know, you could have some of these guys down at AAA, but the Royals, at least certain people in the Royals, believe that they'd be doing better off getting that development in the major leagues right now than at AAA, especially at the end of the season. They feel like AAA, the gap is not only wider than it has been between AAA and the major leagues in recent years, but at the end of the season when most of those guys, the top guys at AAA have already come up, the gap, the, you're really not getting as much development or you're not facing as high a level as you would if you're still at AAA compared to bringing those guys up and, and throwing them into the fire at the major leagues right now. Yeah, but hey, so far so good, right? And um, and these guys are going to get, I don't know, is it how many games are left, uh, 50 or so, somewhere in the maybe high low 50s for number of games left. So plenty of ch- chances to get some um, – to get some major league at bats for players that the Royals want to get a hard look at. So does, but I guess my question is, does this, does this put the Royals a little bit behind schedule when it comes to being a, a a playoff contending team, a meaningful baseball in September type of team? The fact that they are, you know, they, they are going with as many young players and, and going into next season with, Probably, you know, because they don't have Merrifield and others, a little bit more uncertainty than maybe we would have thought when, you know, this was going to be the year that they approached 500 and next year was going to be the playoff year. At least that's, you know, that's a narrative that 
uh, that crafted by media members, I think based on some conversations with Royals officials. But now it almost seems like a, you've got to set it back a little, there's a little bit of time to get this thing developed and to get the young players used to uh, Major League Baseball. So what, is, what does this do to the Royals' timetable? Well, a couple of things, Blair. One thing, I mean, you know, yeah, we start this conversation with they're already behind, right? I mean, I think I think this year um, you'd hope to see at least kind of a, a way station or a portal that was established to next year, and, and we don't really see that. But in lieu of that, we see a lot of the pieces that I think um, – Let's put it this way. A lot of the pieces that better be part of <laughs> what what's coming next or it's really going to be a problem. And we see a couple of things going on here. Right. You see the, the new dynamic of the clubhouse. Again, I shouldn't overstate that. And yet I think it matters. Um, you see these meaningful at bats um, for guys that um, some of whom like Dayton has pointed this out to us. I mean, this last year, this time, Michael Massey was at double A. Right. Um, or even high A. I think double A. And. So these guys are, are, are shooting through the system. Not only are they shooting through the system, the way is being cleared a little slower than um, maybe some Royals fans would like. But with that is going to come a lot of one step up, two step back moments. That's just that's just going to happen. But the thread connecting all this is we want to watch this. Um, Blair used the term earlier in the show about this is a sort of developmental time too. I think we're at a place right now where if we see – six innings of one run ball from Chris Bubich and they lose, you know, four to three, that day is probably a, a net positive in a lot of ways. You know, you start seeing more and more glimpses out of these young starting pitchers that, that gives you a little bit of an insight. And just one last thing too, it's just kind of funny about this. I don't know what the broader plan was all along exactly, but the fact that MJ Melendez came up when he was struggling because of injuries he was struggling at AAA because of injuries. That, to me, um, is a really interesting uh, turn of events for the way this season has played out because he ended up being here sooner than they wanted him to be here. And it hasn't been perfect, but it's been pretty good. And and look where he is now. And so I think that just, to me, is a snapshot of what you hope is going to happen with all these guys, that maybe some of them are here a little sooner than maybe they ideally would have liked. On the other hand... Um, you know, it's now. It, it, it now's the time to take the turn. Vahe, just to to clarify, um, MJ was struggling, and he came up because of injuries at the major league level. It almost sounded like you were saying he was struggling because of injuries. I just want to make sure people oh, realize yeah, he yeah, was yeah. he was injured. <laughs> I, I need as as you guys know, I need an editor. So yeah, that 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 was very much the point. But thanks for clarifying, Lynn. And he's been on fire here lately. Um, boy, his balls carry. Wow. You know, he's got this beautiful stroke, and it just seems it's not a violent stroke. It's just, you know, Bobby Witt can take a, you know, a pretty hard swing, but Melendez's swing just looks so effortless isn't the right word, but so smooth, um, and, and the ball jumps off his bat. Uh, the home runs, one of the home runs he – had in the Red Sox series, the one that landed in the in the water, just a beautiful swing. And um, anyway, yeah, I've seen it a few times from him. Was he up to is it thirteen home runs this year? And uh, maybe with a shot to get to twenty. And how cool would that be to have a couple of rookies with at least twenty home runs? I mean, the Royals don't have seasons when with veterans getting twenty home runs each, but they could have you know 
three players with at least 20 and two of them with Salvi, of course, with, with two of them being rookies. And again, that's, I think I said it recently and I'll, I'll repeat it because it's, it's more true now than it was earlier that I, I think it's going to matter how the Royals play the play out the string this season in, in, in past years when they were, you know, barreling down a hundred loss season, it didn't, you know, they, they ended up winning more than they lost in September and some of those, some of those years, but it didn't matter. Ultimately it didn't matter. And it was kind of false, false hope for the team, but, with so many guys who are going to be part of this, what you think is going to be the next playoff team, it does matter how they play down the stretch. And they are going it, to – it's worth paying attention to this team. And uh, I'll be interested to see what attendance and TV ratings and those things that measure interest are in August and September for the Royals. You know, I've seen – oh, go ahead, Lou. Well, I was just going to say, and, and Vahe mentioned it earlier, that the, the idea that, you know, the – the results maybe don't matter as much. I think you got to balance that a little bit or temper that a little bit just because, you know, like obviously it's, you know, if like the example of Chris Brubish goes six and, and, and only gives up one and, and they get a loss, they're still positive. You had to take from that. But I think the the idea that we talk about the energy and the excitement and people want to see the young guys and you heard a lot of that when they were in Toronto and, that series, they won one and three. And I think if you have the young guys and the energy and the excitement and you go one and three for the rest of the way, remember now we're coming off a series where they just went three and, you know, three and one. They took three out of four. And it's a lot easier to feel all this excitement, energy and everything when you take three out of four. If they were young and exciting and go and losing one or, you know, or losing three out of every four, I think it would be a little bit different as far as the, the interest and everybody taking that positives out of things. I think that would. I think there's got to be some sort of a balance there. I don't think it's quite as much as just individual development is all that matters. I think they still need to win. Otherwise, or at least, you know, I'm not saying they've got to play, play, you know, 750 ball the rest of the way. But I'm just saying I think that, you know, losing, you know, one out of or winning one out of every four the rest of the way is not going to be good enough. I think they need to win as well as they're developing to, to keep sort of this interest and this positive vibe going, too. Lynn, that's a great that's a great uh, supplement to the point, and I, and I I think uh, it, you're 100 right because part of this is carrying that energy forward, and it just you know certainly by almost definition would dissipate if uh, they're losing three out of four, right? I mean it just it just is different. So you're right; it has to all go together. And Blair, to your your point too, you think about this. I mean, I have seen you know I think some Royals fans are a little conditioned to the sense of fool's gold, right? They they're out of it. And, oh, now they're winning some, you know, big deal. But I do think the, the key difference here is that it's with a, it's a, basically a, the nucleus going forward that, that you know is going to be the nucleus going forward. It's not stray parts and, a, a you know, kind of a island of misfit toys being brought together. I mean, this is this is what they're they're planning to work with. And so I think you can take a little different kind of stock in that um, from this assuming there's something to to take stock in the way the rest of the season goes. Right. I, I love, I love the analogy Lynn made about the Toronto series and this recent Red Sox series and that Toronto series, not only they, they got the win and they could have won two other games, but they didn't, they didn't um, lose. And they got, and then they got hammered pretty good in one of them, but in this Red Sox series, they could have lost one of the games, but they didn't, they got the Prado walk off home run. And, and even in the first game where, Salvi, you know, Homer to give him a little distance. That game was tight for, you know, six, seven innings. So 
um, that there is a difference. I think maybe when we sum up the season, we'll take a look at those two four-game series to kind of see as pivot points uh, for for this year. And uh, so the Royals, uh, to schedule, you know, if we're talking about getting wins with this young team, not going to be easy over the next couple of weeks. Uh, they start four with the White Sox today with a with a real doubleheader. Uh, so games, uh, not a not a two. I think this is right, Lynn. Right, one ticket, two games today, and uh, with the White Sox starting, I think at three o'clock. That's so that's a four game series with Chicago. Dodgers in for three, best record in baseball right now, or at least they share it with the Yankees. But anyway, they're at the top of the top of baseball. Next week, a road trip to Minnesota and Tampa Bay, also playoff hopeful team. So won't be easy for this young team, but it'll be fun to watch and see how they see how they uh, fare against this group. Blair, quick uh, quick uh, flashback um, when I think of the pure doubleheader. Now, Lynn might be too young to have experienced this, but I but I bet you weren't. I mean, I remember at Veteran Stadium, two dollars and twenty five cents for the doubleheader, if it, for the adult ticket, and if an adult bought you the ticket, it was fifty cents for the kids, um, <laughs> twenty five cents a game. I mean, I I know we're getting older, but I I felt like we needed to take that trip down memory lane. Did you have anything like that going, or did you, Lynn? No, well, I'm getting younger, so I can't relate to this getting older thing. But, um, but no, I don't, I don't remember uh, the uh, fifty second, uh, fifty cent uh, tickets there. No, that's uh, that's before my time, right here. I can remember looking at a major league baseball schedule and seeing a team with I don't know anywhere from five to ten scheduled doubleheaders in the season, um, and you know one game right after another, not seven inning doubleheader games like we had in the in the in the uh, COVID season, but. Uh, but yeah, and and often with the double headers back in the day, uh, no guarantee it'll be this way tonight. The games were short. Players knew they had a full day of baseball. <laughs> Those games came in at uh, one fifty eight sometimes. So <laughs> here's hoping for short games uh, for Lynn Worthy tonight. He'll be covering the uh, covering the Royals and the White Sox. Okay, that'll do it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in, and big thanks to Vahe Gregorian and Lynn Worthy and to our producer, Monty Davis, also to the University of Kansas Health System. We will do this again next week. So until then, take care. That'll do it for today. Thanks to our Sportsbeat KC production team of Monty Davis, Randy Mason, Jeff Rosen, and Chris Fickett. Tip of the cap to Lynn Worthy and Vahe Gregorian for sharing their thoughts on the Royals. Hey, check out the morning sports edition. Sports news and features crammed into dozens of pages each day. For more information, go to liveedition.kansascity.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with another Sportsbeat KC.